You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. Let's continue the second part of our series. We're talking about a heart for his house. Last week we talked about the importance of having a heart for his house. We talked about King David specifically. We started off talking about some uh, interesting stats that a non-Christian company was making and deciding as they're talking and asking people about church and about religion in America and how there's this steady decline in people who are saying they are members of church. And because there is a steady decline in people saying they are members of church, there are less people saying that they believe that they are born-again Christians. And there is a rise and an increase in the younger generations that are equating their religion to none Rather than, rather than Christianity, rather than Catholic, rather than Muslim, rather than Mormon, whether than any of the other religions, the younger generations are saying, I would rather have no religion at all than have some type of religion. So we see that there's a problem, but the Bible helps us and teaches us and shows us how to have the solution. We as the church believe that this Bible is the ultimate truth, and whatever the Bible says is our truth. It doesn't matter what the world says, doesn't matter what the polls say, doesn't matter what's going on around us. We believe and stand on the Word of God that it is the truth. And therefore, because it is the truth, and we know that truth, it'll set us free. And it'll set us free from these declining numbers. So we start by talking about having a heart for his house. And we see with King David that him having a heart for the Lord inspired him to build a house for God. He says, I live in a temple. I live, I mean, I live in a palace and God lives in this little area with some curtains wrapped around it. So I need to make a temple for him. And the scripture that we're basing this whole kind of series on is 1 Chronicles 22, verse 5. David, passing on to the younger generation, King Solomon, David was told by God, thank you for wanting to build a house, but your hands are too bloody. You can't build the house. Your son will build it. Solomon could have ran away and said, I'm not doing that. That's dad's old dream. I've got my own dreams. I want to build my own palace. I want to build my own name. But he saw the heart for the house of God in his dad, and he took that seed that was planted in his dad, and he says, I'm going to bear fruit in that by building the house of God. And in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 5, it says, Now David said to Solomon, My son is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparation before his death. So last week we encouraged you, we challenged you that you play a part in helping build the church, in having a heart for God's house, and that we as this generation right now need to make preparation for the next generation to fall in love with the church, to come back to church. How are they going to know how important the church is if they don't see it in us? So we need to make abundant preparation and let the younger generation know how great the church is. In the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how to make the church 
exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all the countries will be the next three weeks. But we're talking about part two of the house. We finished up in First Chronicles 22, verse 16. I don't think we have that up there, but um, of gold and silver, David was talking, there is no limit. Arise and begin working, and the Lord be with you, is what God told him. So David is encouraging Solomon, and he's encouraging us today to arise and begin working and the Lord will be with us. Let's talk about the different types of the houses of the Lord. In Psalms 23, verse 6, we had a series on Psalms 23 earlier in the year. In the last part of Psalms 23, the last verse, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell means that you have to make a choice that that's where you're going to be. You could, David could be <clears throat> anywhere else. He could go anywhere else because he was king. But he had to make a choice. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, there's different types of houses of the Lord in the scriptures that I want to show you. The first one that we see is in 1 Corinthians verse 6. Sorry, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know, now you know, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Verse 20. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16, it says a very similar type of scripture where he says, do you not know that your body is the temple? So one of the houses of the Lord that we see is our own body. We talk about it and, and we encourage kids at a young age, you, you ask Jesus into your heart. That's the the phrase that we use. And it's kind of the semantics of it because it's not actually Jesus coming into your heart. Remember, Jesus came to this earth. He said, it's not good that I stay on this earth, but I'm going to send somebody who's going to help you. And he goes up to heaven. Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father. But he says, I am not going to come live in your heart. I'm going to come put my spirit in your heart. The same power, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you. That's the great mystery that's been revealed. It's, 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 it's Christ. It's, it's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you, the hope of glory. That when you say yes to God, when you believe in the gospel message, Jesus sends his spirit into your heart. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you. You once were dead, now you're alive. Dead spirit, alive spirit. And so, in that transformation, you now have the helper, you have the comforter, you have the guide inside of you. And then as you go on your Christian walk, there's another encounter, there's another gift that the Holy Spirit wants to give you. We see the Holy Spirit coming to the earth in Acts chapter 2. And in Luke it talks about, we've talked about this before, where Jesus tells the disciples to go and wait and you will receive the promise of the Father. 
a beautiful example of the Trinity. We believe that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all God, but they're three different unique people. <clears throat> so therefore, we see Jesus, God the Son, talking about the promise of the Father, God the Father, which the promise is the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> says you will receive power and that gifting is with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Think about that. That not only do you receive the same spirit that Jesus received, you can also receive an extended prayer language that can help you on your journey in life that the devil can't understand and that only heaven can understand. Sign me up for that. It's like a cheat code. It's an extra additive thing to the game of life. And it says here that your body is the temple. <clears throat> and so we need to have a heart <clears throat> for the house. And I believe this is probably the hardest heart for the house to have because it means that you need to love yourself. To have a heart for yourself. To forgive yourself because realistically, loving myself is probably the hardest thing to do. The scripture says, Jesus says, love your neighbors. Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus says, love the sinners. But I know me, I know what goes on in here, I know what goes on in here. Sometimes the hardest person to love is yourself, to forgive yourself, to let it go, to let God work, to let God restore. Another house of the Lord is the church. Psalms 27 verse 4, David is writing and he says, one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek. Once again, here's the choice that I will seek. I could seek this, that, I could seek whatever I want, but there's one thing that I've desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. <clears throat> you are living in the best time ever to be a Christian because during King David's time, God only resided in one place in the entire world, and that was in the temple or in the tabernacle on the Ark of the Covenant. And he was only God to the Israelites. He didn't have a covenant with everybody else. That's why people get kind of confused in the Old Testament God and the New Testament God, because he killed a lot of people in the Old Testament, because he didn't have a covenant with the Philistines. And the covenant was, if you bless them, I'll bless you. If you curse them, I'll curse you. And the Philistines tried to curse them a whole bunch and attack them a whole bunch. And God says, no, 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 I don't have a covenant with you. I have a covenant with my children, and I will defend them, and I will protect them. And believe me, he's still just as jealous and in love as with his people back then as he is right now for you and me. So David could only encounter God's presence in one place. And he says, the one thing that I desire, the one thing that I seek is to dwell in the temple, in the house of the Lord forever. Because if I go to my place, you're not there. If I go over here, you're not there. 
He talks about it in Psalms 139. He says, but I know where you're at and you're in the house of God and I've got to be there. I've got to encounter you. I've got to spend time with you. We see having a heart for the house in regards to the church. And then lastly, the house of the Lord also is heaven. Revelations chapter 21 verses 3 and 4. And this is John talking about the revelation that he received. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, the house of God, is with man. Praise God. And he will dwell with them. Amen. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. There shall be no more sorrow. There shall be no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Look at the beauty that God has designed in regards to the house of God. He's made you the house of God by putting his Holy Spirit inside of you. Then he's built this thing called the church that he's allowed people that are the house of God to come together with other houses of God to worship God. And then once we die, pass away, close our eyes here on earth, we open our eyes in the house of God where he lives and he resides for eternity. So when I'm here on earth, I can believe Jesus, I can believe the gospel message, and I can have in house God inside of me, And then I have the opportunity, when the doors are open, to come to the house of God with other men and women of God and enjoy his presence and enjoy his gifts and enjoy his word. And it doesn't just end there that when I die, I get to go to the ultimate house of God and spend eternity with him. Do you see how important it is to have a heart for his house? Because his house is everywhere. Do you see how he's designed it to take over? Everywhere I go, I carry the house of God. And then when we come together, where two or more gather in your name, there you are in the midst, where more miracle signs and wonders can manifest. And then just like Paul, when I've run the race, and whether Jesus shows up and raptures me, or I close my eyes on this earth, I get to open them again and have my eternity secure in his house forever. That's not a good enough benefit right there. Let's talk about some more benefits of having a heart and being in his house. 1 Kings chapter 9, King Solomon has built the temple. He has dedicated the temple. We talked about one of those scriptures last week. And God has visited and is visiting King Solomon again. And when it came to pass, when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desires, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer. Let's stop right there. If he heard Solomon's prayer, he's heard your prayer. And your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house. God himself says, I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name in there forever. Look at this. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. 
The first benefit for having a heart for the house and making sure that you're in the house of God is that God's eyes and his heart are on his house. And that word perpetually in the Hebrew means always and continually. So now we put ourselves back in those three different houses. My body is the house of God, so that means his heart and his eyes are always on me. The church is the house of God, which means his heart and his eyes are on this building right now. And of course, he's in heaven, so his eyes and his heart are always there, because that's where he's at. God's eyes and hearts will be on his house. So if you feel away from God, if you feel distant from God, maybe you've said this before, does God even know where I am? Does God even care? Does God even see me? Does he see the struggle that I'm going through? If you've ever had those thoughts, if you've ever had those concerns, then your first thought should be, I need to get to the house of God as quick as I can. Because when you step foot in here, if God's eyes and his heart are on this building and I'm in this building, then that means his eyes and his heart are on me today. God is looking at you and his heart and his love is on you today. Just by being in the house, God's looking at you, smiling. Adam and Eve, we talk about them so much, but we do so much things that they do. Adam and Eve sinned, they know they sinned, they're naked, they're ashamed, and the first thing they do is they run away from God. They go hide from God. They try and cover up and fix it themselves. And God shows up like he always does, and it's not God who is hiding from the sinners, It's not God who is hiding from humanity. God is not trying to hide from you. God is constantly trying to find you and get to you and help you and restore you. Because when he showed up, he says, oh no, what did you do? What has happened? And he says, I don't know how. I I have a plan already to fix this. And then he takes an animal and he covers them. He doesn't embarrass them. He doesn't laugh at them. You've heard it before when you've invited somebody to church and they said, well, I can't frequent the doorsteps of the church. The church will catch on fire. The whole building would burn down. I'd catch on fire. I can't be there. You talk to friends and family and you say, hey, come to church. They said, no, no, no. I've got to fix some things before I go to church. I've got to quit doing this. I've got to start doing that. When God is not trying to hide from you in the bushes, he's looking for you. Adam! Man, woman, where are you? I've got the tools that can help you, that can save you, that can restore you. I can cover you. I can heal you. I can fix this if you just come to the house. His eyes and his heart are on here. He's looking for you. And we don't need to be the ones that run away from the church building when we mess up. It's where we need to run to first and fall on our knees and lift our hands and say, God, I need you today more than ever. Who cares about Sister Sally or Father Frank and they say, I can't believe they showed up today. Do you know what they did? No, that's exactly where they need to be today, experiencing his presence. His eyes and his heart are on this house. 
Another benefit to coming to church, being in the house, Matthew 16, 18, <clears throat> Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Peter has just revealed that he knows that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And Jesus makes a statement. And I also say to you <clears throat> that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, some places kind of misunderstand back in history. They thought that, they, that Jesus was saying he was going to build his church on Peter. That makes no sense at all. What he was building his church on is what Peter had the revelation of, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus said it before, that he's the chief cornerstone. He's the rock. He's the thing that holds it. It's not Peter that holds this thing together. It's Jesus. And the revelation that Peter had, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on that rock, that I am your Savior, I am your King, I am the Messiah, and on that I'm going to build it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's how the church stays strong, and that's how the church survives. It's not on man trying to build up a church. It's on the revelation that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that truth is that Christ died for your sins. He was buried in a tomb, and he rose again the third day, because it is the power to salvation to anyone who believes. In all reality, the one who should start the Gentile church is the apostle Paul, not Peter. Peter was called to the Jews. Paul was called to us. But that's another sermon. Jesus said, I'll build my church. That's good enough. I mean, that should be good enough that God himself decided he's going to build his church. That takes so much pressure off the pastor. Whew, thank God. He assigns the fivefold ministry. We see that in Ephesians. But Jesus says here, I will build my church. And because I'm going to build my church, the gates of hell and the devil will not prevail against it. The word prevail in the Greek means to overpower, to be strong to another detriment, or to be superior in strength. So hell, the devil, and his kingdom will never overpower the church. It will never be stronger enough to be a detriment to the church. And hell and the devil will never be superior in strength to the church. No matter what he tries to do, that dumb devil is already defeated. And this church and this congregation and you yourself are so much stronger that he will never defeat you. He's walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you give him the freedom to devour you, then yeah. But what if you stood up against him? What if you said, no, not this year, not my family, not my church, not my household. It's not going to happen again. And if you're in the house and Jesus is building the house, then that means he's building me. That means he's working on me. That means that he is putting his hands on me. And in his hands, family, if you've read in the gospel, when Jesus lays his hands on somebody, they rise from the dead. When Jesus gets his hands on somebody, it takes that leprosy out of them. When he puts his hands on them, the devil can't stay in them. When he puts his hands on them, he loves them, and he hugs them, and he cries them. 
carries them. His hands are so strong that it can throw demons out of people, but it's also so soft that it can pick up children and hold them. He's building his church, and if you're in here, that means he's building you. He wants to build you. You might be thinking, well, I've been saved for this long. I just don't feel like I'm growing. I just don't feel like I'm getting closer to God. I just don't feel like I understand what's going on. Then get in the house and let him work on you. Let him build you. Let him put his hands on you. Let him save you. Let him heal you. The last benefit we have in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23, says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And this is his job. This is his goal. This is his mission statement. Jesus here says he is the CEO of the church. What I love about this is not only is he the CEO, he's sitting up at the right hand of the Father in his office, and he's deciding the churches, and he's moving the people here, and let's get this person here, and let's get this person there, and uh, let's take the gifting with this person and tell him to go here, and we need a pastor here, we need a prophet there. He's guiding and building. Not only is he just a CEO that's making all these big multiple decisions, he's also the contractor where he's putting his hands on it. Have you ever had a boss who sits up in their high throne in their office and tells you what to do? Well, you need to go and do this, and you got to clean this pipe, and you got to take this wall down, you've got to do that. Okay, appreciate it, man. Those bosses aren't the funnest. But have you ever had a boss who comes with you? He comes out of his high tower. He comes out of his office. He says, let me show you. Let me put my hands on it with you. Let me get my hands dirty. Not only is Jesus the Lord, the Savior, the King of kings, he's also a carpenter who likes to put his hands on things and get his hands dirty. He's not, a, he's not afraid of your mess. He's the CEO, but he's also a worker just like you. Not afraid to jump, jump into your drama, to jump into your issues, to jump into your sickness, to jump into your failures and fix it and help it. God has to go and kill this animal and he makes clothing to put on Adam and Eve, which means he has to skin this animal, which means he has to wash the fur to get all the blood out so that he can put them on the right sides. Yeah, Adam, you're a medium, you're a... Uh, a two, you're this, you're that. God's hands are dirty. They're full of blood. They're full of all this mess that he's doing to save and help humanity. Not only is he the CEO, but he also likes to get in there and build your life. And what he wants to do in verse 23, as the head of the church, his ultimate goal, he's the savior of the body. That is his goal, that is his mission statement, that is what he's always here to do, to seek and save that which is lost, to destroy the works of the devil. He is the savior of the body. And if you're in the house and you're in the building, you're a part of the house of God, then you're a part of the body, which means he wants to save you. Verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives. If you're with your wives, just lean on over, tell her you love her. It's a perfect time right there. Babe, I love you. Thank you. Can't wait to hear your word before Thursday. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. What does that look like, husbands? Yikes. And gave himself for her. We'll do a marriage series down the line, so, man, you can hold on to that. 
This is what it looks like when he gave himself for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Go home tonight and draw your wife a bath. Tell her to get in there. And then I'll just put the kids in there with her. Hey, here you go. <laughs> Bubble bath for all y'all. <laughs> I'm going to go take a break. Verse 27. <coughs> I can't even say that straight. Or oh, look at her. Verse 27. That he might present her. Look, this is his goal. That he might present this church, this bride, to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. The more people that come from out of there, that come in here, means that the church might have a little bit of a blemish, might have a little bit of a wrinkle, which means that is God and Jesus' continual plan. Every time you come in, he's working on you to make you without spot and without blemish. When I come into church, he's working on me because he wants to save me. He wants to save you, and he wants to wash you in the word. He wants to wash you in the word. That's why it's so important to hear the Bible. That's why it's so important to read the Bible. That's why it's so important to come to church and hear a sermon, not just a man or a woman up here talking about their opinion, but what the Bible says. I don't want to hear man's opinion. I want to hear what the Word of God says because that's what washes me. That's what cleanses me. That's what causes me to be holy and to come out of here and to go and survive the world out there. The CEO is up there with a plan to wash you in the Word. And when you're here in the house, that's what's happening right now. Whether you know it or not, he's watching you in the word. He's cleansing you. You might have showed up today and you feel dirty. You say, oh, I just, I sinned so much. I did so much. I, I did this. I did that this week. I can't go to church. No, no, no. When you feel the dirtiest, you should run through those doors so that you could get washed again. To just come and worship Stand under the shower of heaven and just be washed in his word. You should not leave church feeling beat up and feeling worse than when you came in. You should leave church like when you get out of a hot shower after a long day of work. Dirty fingernails, dirty toes, dirty hair. And you jump in that shower and you see all the mud and everything just washing down the drain. And you walk out of there clean whole and refreshed, ready to go take a nap. When you're here at church, it's like God's doing surgery, and he's working on you. Psalms 115, it says that his mind is on you. He's thinking about you. First Kings, it says that his heart and his eyes are on you today. Jesus says that he's building the church. He's putting his hands on the church in here, the last part, it says that he's excited to be the head of the church and wash you. And as you're sitting here today, the Holy Spirit's working on you. Every time you come into church, he's putting his hands on you. He's saying, I need to take this out of you. But God, I don't want to give that up yet. It hurts too much. I enjoy it too much. I don't want to, no, I need to take this out of you. But I'm also going to put this in you. I'm going to wash the wound. I'm going to stitch you up. I'm going to pour that peroxide on you. I know it's going to bubble a little bit, but when you leave, you're going to feel so much better. It's so important to have a heart for the house, and not just a heart for the house, but to be in the house, because the benefits way outweigh 
you deciding to stay in bed and sleep or whatever issue you have with not coming to church. I've got two scriptures left and I'm finishing. Psalms 42, verses 4 and 5. King David is having an issue. He's going through something in his life. And if you read the beginning of Psalms 42, you've probably heard the scripture, 42 verse 1. It says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for the Lord, thirst for the Lord. In verse 2, it says that my tears are my meal day and night. So he's having this, maybe a little too dramatic of a crisis, but he's having a crisis nonetheless, where he's saying, I'm crying so much that the only thing I'm eating is my tears. And we pick it up in verse 4, where it says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For look at this, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim's feast. Look at verse 5. All of a sudden, he remembers about going to church. He remembers about going to the temple and singing with the people and praising with the people and eating with the people and fellowshipping with the people. And then he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? I remember what happened when I went to the house of God. Good, bad, or ugly, I showed up on my worst day, and I remember that you showed up, that you spoke to me, that you healed me, that restored me. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Look at this, the confidence in him. Hope in God. I'm telling you today, whatever your situation is, hope in God, for I shall yet praise you for the help of his countenance. Whatever you're going through today, hope in God. God, believe in his word that he is going to provide. No matter what's going on in your life, choose today, yet will I praise you. In the last scripture I have, Psalms 122, verse 1, as I finish, is something that we should be excited every time we wake up on Sunday morning. David says, I was glad when they said to me. I wasn't tired. I wasn't frustrated. I always go to church. I can miss one week, one month, one year. I'm not going back there. What's the point? I know the people that are there. I know the pastor that's there. He let me down. He did this. He did that. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. I know the people and the leaders that are there. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house. And why was he glad when they said the doors were open? Because he knew what I just shared with you today. That when you step into the house of God, his heart and his eyes are on you. When you step into the house today, whether you knew it or not, God was already working and building and fixing your life. Whether you knew it or not, even now, he's washing you in his word. So that you can go out and have a successful tomorrow because of what you did in the house of God today. Having a heart for his house and the benefits are so beautiful to be here. Let's stand up as we get ready to head out. Next week, we'll talk about making this house magnificent, abundantly magnificent. Father, we thank you for your house. We thank you for your sweet presence that was here today. We thank you for your word that will not return void. We thank you that your heart and your eyes are on this house today. Father, I thank you that you're building this congregation. You're building those that are here, and you're building those that are to come. Father, I thank you that you are saving this body. You're washing us in the word of God, and we, going this forward in 2022, are making the decision that when the doors are open in this house, we are going to be glad that the doors are open. We are going to come rejoicing and expecting 
a move and a miracle from God. I'm going to show up expecting to hear your voice. I'm going to show up expecting to encounter you. I'm going to show up expecting with my heart for the house and my heart for you to see this church and this congregation change to your glory. 2022 is beginning, and we are going from where we are right now to glorious. We're going from where we're right now to more faithful than we've ever been by the end of 2022 because we're choosing to be in your house. Father, bless your people today. Protect your people today. Father, your word says it is washes over them today that they are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. They're blessed in the city and blessed in the field. They are blessed where they are right now, and they are blessed in the 2022 that you're bringing them into. Everything they put their hands to prospers because the favor of God surrounds them like a shield. Father, for those that are here and those that aren't here, they are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Their body is the temple, and therefore their body is healed and whole now because of the stripes of Jesus. I speak healing into their bodies wherever they're at. Father, I thank you that we're the salt and light of the earth. We're a city set on a hill that refuses to be hidden. Father, I thank you for these people. They're blessed and highly favored. They are protected, they are safe, they are healthy, they are whole, and you'll bring them back safely next Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. See you all next Sunday. Take care, family. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.